Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. It's the second Sunday of the month. It's the 14th of September, 2020. It's Justin Johnson. I'm going to my second academic year. We're on the module DD103, edited by Karim Mergi. Investigating the Social World 1. On my academic integrity. On page 50, finishing off where we left off yesterday, Chapter 2, Investigating Housing, Social Policy and Crime. Make sure you're with me. We're going to try and implement into the text to show my characteristics, my knowledge. Housing, does housing status matter? Housing status does matter because it can, obviously if you're in the private sector, you've got mindfulness and you've got suburban areas that can mock your abilities. One outcome, it does, I mean, it does help being in some type of suburban area to realise you need to get your head down to get out of this mess, absolutely. But to find, to realise where you want to be, you need a vision and success is the only option. One outcome of social policy, page 50, one outcome of social policy making is the classification of people. According to their housing status, people are placed into three main categories of housing status, which are used in most official statistics. The statistics are the ones collected by government agencies through various surveys. The official for national statistics in the UK, for example, or those of the European Commission or European Union. The three categories are owner-occupiers, those who are either repaying back a loan on a property or own it outright. Private renters, renting in the private sector. You rent in the private sector so their house was owned. Social housing residents, renting in the social housing sector, typically at subsidised rates. It is important to note that the proportions of these groups have changed over time due to social policy and a state of the economy. Among other things, in the case of the UK for example, the proportion of people in private rented housing before the First World War was nearly 90%. After laws was passed in 1919 enabling local authorities to build social housing, the figure dropped sharply in 2014. It stood at around 15% Beckett 2014. Proportions. The proportions of the three groups also differ from one country to another and a wide variety of cultural, political and economic factors account for differences in proportions. You know, your political views, your political culture could change, for instance. Maybe, I don't know, we've been talking about BLM. I, you know, I've got no, I'm not an extremist, I won't go against it. So for that reason... You could be put in a, you know, in a different sector. I support all anyone that's grounded in anything they do in life. Why not give them the time of day? People with religious, religious views, strong religious views, extremists in their way of thinking, they're going to get stuck in a not so very welcoming way. You've got to be not, not discrimination in any, any shape or form against anyone's will. The rest of this section will consider the relationship between what types of housing. Someone grows up in 
and outcomes in other areas of life. Asking a question, what impact does housing status have on life cha chances? 2.1. Research on housing and life chances. Is there a relationship between a person's housing status and various outcomes such as educational attainment, income level, health and wealth? As wealth typically determines one's access to housing, one would expect to find some statistically significant patterns. Page 51. Ruth Lupton and her team. Lupton et al. 2009 compared the housing status and social outcomes of four generations of people born between 1946 and 2000. The data was collected from people living in England, Wales and Scotland. The 2000 sample also included people living in Northern Ireland. Lupton et al. accessed data on samples of people born in 1946. The National Survey for Health and Development, 1958. The National Child Development Study, 1970. The British Cohort Study and 2000 the Millennium Cohort Study. The results, it's page 51, the results revealed that the group born in 1946, social housing was usually a step up from the private renting and a stepping stone towards home ownership. The find, the find, this finding, however, only remained stable for a period of about 10 years for people born in 1958. This pattern was not as, as strong as more people had begun to move out of social housing and into home ownership. People born in 1970 and 2000, the status of social housing was deteriorated and was no longer improvement on private rented accommodation. Thus data from the first cohort of the study. Those from the 1946 sample suggest that social housing provided an attractive housing option for people of social classes. However, the data from the later cohorts revealed that status of social housing has eroded by 1958 and have become a housing option more for disadvantaged populations rather than households with average or above average earnings. A key finding from Lupton et al's study was that on average, those who lived in social housing as children were worse off as adults in terms of health, well-being, education and employment than their peers. 2009 page 1. This finding was true for the generations from 1958 and 1970 and the results also suggest a similar trajectory for the cohort from 2000. 2.2 Housing Status and Social Outcomes There are different variables that demonstrate a shift in the profile of social housing residents since the Second World War. According to Lupton et al. 2009 study, for example, in 1946, only around one in three households owned their own homes. It was a common place for people from every social class to live in social housing because of high quality and wide availability of this form of housing. In fact, almost one in six. 15% of the... Go on to page two, 52. 15% of the country's wealthiest 20% live in social housing, along with more than 1.4, 27% of the poorest, 20%. By 2005, only 2%, 1 in 50 of the wealthiest, of the wealthiest 20%, and almost half, 49% of the poorest, 20%, lived in social housing. 
These changes are in part due to the changes in social policies that shape the kinds of housing available. There's, there's more people in the poorest in like council or housing accommodation. In their longitudinal study, Lupton et al. sought to control for other differences between households in order to determine whether housing would still have an impact. Controlling means that research is built in a calculation that took into consideration different variables such as parents' education, occupation, income and interest in education. Teachers rating a child's progress whether the child was bullied, how happy the child was, whether they wet the bed, their height and weight, and for the 1950 and 1970 cohorts, characteristics of their schools. So, you know, you can imagine their, them parents, wealthy parents, or, you know, parents that can afford to move, the kids going through being bullied. They sort of look at changing maybe the schools, maybe the schools around a sub-urban area. You know, parents have had troubled families. Not through, you know, they could get better, not on purpose being involved in activism or narcotics, but them sort of environments can get bullied, families can get bullied through that such, such substance, unfortunately. My heart, you know, condolences do go out to them families in somewhat troublesome neighbourhood because it's not always their fault, but they can try to apply to move. It takes a long time, as we know. Page 52. When they applied these controls, Lupton et al. found that housing status had no different on social outcomes for the 1946 cohort. In other words, growing up in social housing had no independent negative or positive effect for that group. However, for children in the samples born in 1958 and 1970, housing status did have significant impact on later life outcomes even after controlling for other factors that might have both restricted their opportunities and forced them to vent to put it another another way by looking at the 1946 cohort data it may may be argued that a firm policy commitment to social housing might make social housing more desirable to people from all social classes as a a viable housing choice for the social class numbers, social housing may have the capacity to to level the playing field or make people's life chances and outcomes more likely to be equal. However, if social housing is instead implemented only as a policy for the poor and disadvantaged, it may have a negative effect on the people with no alternative but to access this form of housing. Thus, overall, the findings show that the effects of growing up in social housing on the generation born in 1946 were neutral. But those born in 1958 and 1970 emerged worse off on all measures. So what can be made of the survey's conclusions? The authors are careful not to stipulate that the difference in outcomes were caused by childhood experiences of of social housing, 2000 on page 8. Because it was difficult to isolate one factor out of so many to attribute casual effect to it. While there is evidence that child development and health are affected by social housing statuses. Tunstall et al. 2011 for example, the relationship between housing, inequality and social outcomes need further research to determine what matters in relation to housing policy. 
To complicate the answer requires thinking about the role that social housing performs, discussing similar trends in relation to council housing. In general, Donningson and Unchison, 1982. They write that the social housing sector changed from catering for the neat and tidy in the post-war generation to providing for the tight and needy. By the turn of century, Lupton et al. 2009, page 58. Of course, people's life cha uh, chances are not completely determined by the sort of housing they live in, but considering the relationship between different housing policies, social outcomes and changing patterns over the time, in the types of housing available and who is able to access suggestions, interconnections between policies and outcomes, that might not be immediately obvious. Look at page 54. Investigating housing, social policy and crime. After looking at a key finding from Lupton, longitudinal survey on the relationship between housing status and life chances, Make a short list of factors you think contribute to explaining this relationship. Now, which ones do you think are the most important and what kinds of further evidence would you need to argue your case? I mean, mine is obviously my anxiety. I've got died in three times. I got jumped in Essex. You know, it's just um, my anxiety as I go out into society still to this day. I'm looking over my shoulder. I don't know. I got jumped by 15 blokes as a young child, 18. And I think... My prosperity doesn't really matter around here to me because I don't feel confident in this area. So me working in this city or town, small town, culture, uh, I, think it, I think they turned it into a city. They do have a cathedral in there. So I look over my shoulder and I don't feel comfortable. I don't feel confident in my own surroundings. So if I can move to the city of possibly London in a nice built up area, obviously, I'd feel more confident in myself. I am an ex-professional boxer, so I've got a bit of courage there. But it's prosperity matters. And, you know, with what I'm studying, I feel like I could be in the wrong constituency. Looking for the right persons, like the right questions to ask, and trying to inter interpret the answers are the basics of what social scientists do. There is not usually a single simple answer sometimes. Finding the right question is the more difficult part of the process. Often the questions are driven by the recognition of, of inequalities and seeking to understand what process lead to them or worsen them. If certain social housing policies are sometimes associated with negative outcomes, how does society move to more equitable policies? It is important to realise that social science can rarely be absolute in its claims of knowledge. It is not a weakness, but a recognition of complexities of a social world. Classifying people into housing categories is a, is a technical device to implement policy or collect statistics. It, it, it is not intended to have any meaning beyond that. However, it is worth nothing that policy sets some of the parameters that determine how people get categorised. And these cat uh, categories have real material measurable impacts on people's life chances. So, however, it is, it is worth nothing that social policies set up some of these parameters to determine how people get categorised in these categories have real material measurable impacts on people's life chances. So the surroundings. You know, you know, in the sociological world, you know, all around the area. 
is there enough community chances? Community halls. Church, you find in the churches they, they give you a lot of they give you a lot of um, academics to give you a vision, give you guidance, and you you, do, you know you work off. So I know some of you might use spider charts, things like that. What you want to change in life, your goals. Which was research and established statistically significant relationship between housing status and other outcomes such as health, employment, and educational attainment. Attainment. The degree to which the outcomes are caused by housing status is not clear. Housing status may be part of the more complicated pattern. We look at housing, climate, and uh, criminology, like I was just talking about just recently. Let me just get a pen. Two seconds before I go too far ahead. Two seconds. Oh, I found a pen. I found a pen. It's right there. Sorry about that, ladies and gents. We're going to get back to very, very. There's a word I wanna wanna use. Um, I think it's in this page. Have a little look. Oh, the, the recognition of complexities. Page fifty-five: Housing, crime, and criminology. The study of criminology and social policy. Eliminates the difference that social policies can make to understand of crime. Criminology can be defined as a study of crime and also of criminal justice. Even through criminology can include the study of a wide range of topics, issues and problems that relate to crime. It is often focuses and questioning and understanding the social, political and economic factors that influence the way ideas of crime and criminal justice are defined differently in different times and places. Criminologists who want to identify the linkage between social policies and rate of crime, imprisonment and victimisation often attempt to account for the social, political or economic conditions that make certain types of crime or other forms of social harm, for example, eco-crime, corporate crime or state crime. More or less likely to occur. Criminologist Sir Leon Rad Sinowisks, 1906-1999, argued that identifying a single casual factor for the problem of crime was a wasted effort. Nipa 2007, page 5. Instead, he suggested that the most that, he can, that, he, that can be done is to throw light upon the combination of factors or circumstances associated with crime. Rad Senior Whisks, 1988 to page 95. Criminology in the UK has, broadly speaking, considered problems of crime alongside or in relation to social welfare as concerns. This means that crime is considered alongside social issues such as levels of po- uh, poverty, unemployment rates, the availability of safe housing or educational opportunities. However, there is no single preferred approach to investigating or theorising problems of crime among criminologists. The concept of crime is itself contested and changeable. What is viewed as crime in one society, one society may not be in another, even in the same society. Views about what activities are illegal can change over time.
page 55. Activity 3. Can, can you think of any activities that are, that are legal in the UK today, but were, one, illegal? Discussion. What about male homosexuality? That was not discriminalised in England and Wales until passing the Sexual Offences Act of 1967. Equalities have changed over time. Page 56. Investigating housing, social policy and crime. Homosexuality was subsequently dis discriminalised in Scotland through Criminal Justice Scotland Act in 1980. In Northern Ireland, though, the homosexual offence is Northern Ireland order in 1982. The shift can also happen in other directions. Activities that were legal can be made illegal. One example in England and Wales is the ban of smoking in public places. We came into effect on the 1st of July 2007. Thus it can be said that the concept of crime is socially, historically and geographically constructed. In other words, what is considered a crime in any given society depends on where you are and on the social or cultural conventions of the society you're in. Munsey et al. 2010 page 8 argue that what we view as a crime also depends on who has the power to both define what the crime is and to mobilise powers of enforcement against those deemed to have committed such a violation of law. It is evident then that crime is a rather slippery concept. The study of crime criminology is in part concerned with questioning and evaluating the social, political and economic factors that influence the way ideas of crime and criminal justice are defined differently in different locations. Research studies and theories of crime from one country or jurisdiction have to be tested to be established if the findings are generalisable to other social contexts, meaning they reveal reliable social patterns. The rest of this chapter will focus on examining the relationship between crime and housing and on questions of whether particularly housing policies make it more or less likely for some people or neighbourhoods to be seen at a risk of criminal activity. Section 3.1 considers the influential work of group of urban sociologists and criminologists from the 1920s and 1930s who formed the Chicago School. Their work established what became known as illogical theories of crime. Which, suge which suggests that the environment in which people live and interact shows some association with crime rates. Section 3.2 then discusses the way links between housing and crime rates were investigated by the UK criminologists. In the answer to their U US counterparts, Section 3.3 considers on to consider how some social problems come to be criminalised, that is, become a criminal justice issue as opposed to social policy issue. 57. The Chicago School of Social Disorganisation Theory. I mean, you see these the slums of these places, and they go to school, and they're still getting educated, and some of these uh, children pull through and better their lives. Look at 50 Cent, the life he lived, and look at his life now. He's in a million times better situation than me or you. You know, and he's 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 not he's not probably not a bad person in today's so I know he paints a bit a bigger different picture, but inside his heart, inside his nature, he's brought up in the suburban dictionary. Same as Tupac, lost his life in the end, but that is because his history of life. 
and the youth of today growing up, I'm assuming. I don't, we're none of us quite know what happened. We've, everyone thought it was Biggie Smalls. They've got, he got shot or shot him or whatever, but they both got shot in the end because of the, could be false, false declaration from the start. False media. Rumours in the media. Figure 2.7, Chicago slums. This city of Chicago in the late 19th and early 20th century was growing at a rapid rate. Social scientists working on Chicago University during the 1920s and 1930s became interested in the way urban development of cities and Chicago in particular seemed to interact with and influence social life and human behaviour. Chicago school researchers, most notably Robert E. Park and Ernest W. Burgess, concerned with developing a testing on the idea of ideological theories of human behaviour, which propose associations between human, human behaviour, social structures and physical environmental factors. To test these ideas, they engaged in empirical research, using a variety of research strategies, including social surveys. Analysis of senior data and field research involving interviews and observations. This is page 57. Page 58, Investigating Housing, Social Policy and Crime. We can look at the map for Central Business District Transitional Zone, Recent Immigration Group, Deteriorated Housing fact, uh, Factories, Abandoned Buildings, Working Class Zone, Single Family Tenants, Residential Zone, Single Family Homes, Yards, Garages, Consumer sign in the suburbs. There's a little uh, map there, guys. Look. The, different, the first systematic studies of social life in Chicago indicated that the residential areas of the city seemed to be divided along lines of class, ethnicity, housing types, and housing tenancy. Park and Burgess developed what is known as a concentric zone model 2.8 to illustrate the way different urban environments and social structures tended to cluster in the city park and burgess 1921 according to the researchers this model also known as the burgess model was a representation of natural progression that takes place in cities and residential commercial areas involved change and develop page 58 stay with me figure 2.8 concentric zone model developed by Park and Burgess adapted from Burgess 1967. The core circle of the model represented the central business area of the, of the city, zone 1. The first inner ring outside the centre, zone 2, was what Park and Burgess called a zone of transition. This zone was an area characterised by instability, turbulence and, in places, urban decline. Page 59. Figure 2. Inner city and inner city Detroit in decline. The parts of the city tended to include a mixture of both factories and, and poorer quality or derelict residential housing. It was often occupied by sex workers. People with gang affiliation and drug users as well as by successive groups or improvised uh, migrant populations moving into the city from rural areas. The southern states or other mostly European countries, different ethnic cultural groups, Irish, Polish and Italian, successfully settled and then moved through the district as they worked their way out to more affluent circles, being replaced by the next wave of, of poor migrant settlers. 
The housing in these areas was not well maintained because many property owners had produced residential buildings on the speculation. That is, with the expectation that properties in these areas would eventually become highly sought after and would increase in value. However, in the interim, the landlords would not maintain the properties or convert them into more stable homes and would instead rent them out to short-term tenancies. Mooney and Tabalt, 2010, page 41. Moving outwards from the transition zone was a slightly more affluent zone, characterised by single-family tenement housing for working-class labourers, zone 3. Suburban middle-class housing was further out from the centre, zone 4, and housing occupied by the rich was located in the outermost areas of the city, zone 5. Where there was space for larger properties in figure 2.10. Page 59. Page 60, ladies and gents. We're getting through the book slowly but surely. Investigating housing, social policy and crime. Building work and park and burgess. Criminologist Shaw and McKay. 1931-1942. It became an interesting relationship between crime rates and different residential areas to investigate this relationship. The researchers examined juvenile delinquency and crime rates alongside other statistical data about the social structure of populations in each zone as measured by the demographic data such as income, ethnicity and age. Conducting analysis on data for over 20 large US cities, Shaw and McKay found crime rates followed by uniform pattern and were the highest in the transition zone, zone 2 in figure 2.8. Adjacent to the central businesses districts, they also found that high crimes rates remained consistent in these areas over time, despite the fact they had high rate of population turnover. Given you have read above about some reason the transition zones in a city might have a higher rate of reported crime than other areas, even when the population within the transition zone is constantly changing. I mean in the town centres, you've got built-up nightclubs, pubs, bars. You've got shops, theft. People put, you know, just theft inside the shop, theft outside the shop, nicking bikes, things like that, nicking people's purses, money, racketeering, all kinds of stuff going on in the town centres. Discussion. As you read below, there could be many reasons for this and up to the present day. There's no more theory that combine a single reliable set of casual determined factors for the presence or absence of criminal activity among a given population. Remember the statement made by Rad Zinowisks that you read earlier at the start of the section. The most you can be done is to throw the light upon the combination of factors or circumstances associated with crime. Page 61. As is often the case with social research, the finding produced through Shaw and McKay's research needed to be interpreted and accounted for. That is, researchers need to try and explain why a transition zone would remain a high crime area despite a high turnover of residents to explain the prevalence of higher crime states in these areas. Shaw and McKay theorised that the instability of the social environment resulted in a wide range of both conventional and deviant or criminal behaviours, which offered both legitimate and illegitimate means by which to earn a living or gain some form of social status. They argued that high levels of crime and delinquency 
were more likely to be in could be characterised as socially disorganised neighbourhoods. So disorganisation theory briefly defines suggests that socially organised parts of the city are characterised by a settled and stable population where people generally own their own homes and where because of the stability people can exercise higher levels of informal social control over one another. That is, neighbours have a vested interest in acting neighbourly. Towards one another, for example, respecting each other's property or privacy, negotiate, negotiating over disagreements and actually contributing to keep their properties and stress well kept and safe. Socially disorganised parts of the city, by contrast, are, according to Shaw and McKay, troubling by discovery and turbulent and characterised by unstable transient populations. People in these areas were generally found to be poorer and could only access housing through the private rental market under short-term tenancies. As a result of instability of people, labour pro uh, prospects and housing tenure, they were less likely to form a stable community of residents committed to be keeping the peace and exercising formal social controls over one another. The Chicago School theories on urban development and the important environmental influences on human behaviour have been extremely influential in both sociological and criminological studies. However, they have also been criticised by questions over social science researchers and theorists much of the Chicago. Page 62. School's illogical approach was based on the assumption that the way urban development was occurring was a natural process. They failed to consider, for example, whether the manner in the industrial development was being planned and implemented could have been done differently to take account of inequalities or to create rather than curtail opportunities for certain population to contribute to and participate fully in the social and economic life of the city. In addition to the extent of which these theories applied to the cities outside the United States was questionable. The usefulness of Chicago school theories in the UK is explored in the next section. 3.2 on page 62, investigating housing and social policy crime. 3.2, social housing and crime in the UK. At the start of section 3, it was st stated that the research studies and theories of crime developed in one country will often have to be investigated and examined to their test of generalisability to other societies. <coughs> when the work of Chicago School is considered in relation to the UK context, some immediate contradictions become apparent. Remember that the key findings of Shaw and McKay's work were soci socially disorganised. High crime neighbourhoods would be located in areas adjacent to the main business districts. And what they resulted in part, in part from instability of residential housing occupancies due to the, the transient population and short-term private rental market. Now to think on an area of the town or city where you live or a town or city that you know, that is considered a high crime area, do you think either social disorganisation theory or the ideal transition zone can provide a useful explanation for why that area might appear to be prone to crime? What factors would you consider if you wanted to investigate or test the ap applicability of Chicago schools theory in a town or city in the UK or another country in, outside the United States? Look at this short, this 
discussion this sort of test known as empirical validity here is some of the first questions you might ask if the government supports social housing policies that provide stable suitable housing for people with low incomes or limited financial or employment opportunities that's what I was saying earlier what might be the effect on criminal rates in these areas if high crime rates still persist in areas where social housing is provided does that mean the housing tenancy and the stability of residential population are not factors associated with crime? If they are not, then does this disprove social disorganisation theory? If you don't really, if you do, I put you know, you move one of that. You don't really want to participate with friends in that, you know, them sort of activity areas, do you? Keep yourself to yourself. Shut the door. Don't interact. Are there some? aspects of social disorganisation theory that still work, even if some parts of the theory seem to be contradicted when applied to a UK context. Or is there another explanation for why the crime of social disorganisation might persist despite the fact of social housing is provided? Explorations of linkages between crime, housing and neighbourhoods in the UK followed different research traditions from those of the Chicago School researchers. One of the main reasons for this, as discussed in Section 1, was that the government commitments to a welfare approach to a social and housing policy meant that, in the UK, social housing was provided on quite a large scale. Beginning in the 1980s, according to UK criminologists, the provision of social housing and the policies by local authorities to maintain unclear, deteriorated buildings had a profound, profound effect on the distribution of crime in the UK. Look at Baldwin, 1979. Due to the cost of land, many social housing estates in the UK were built a long distance away from the centres, city centres. Problems of crime in the UK. Cities were not necessarily always found in inner city areas, nor were they necessarily associated with neighbourhoods with high turnover of residents. In addition, criminologists in the UK were concerned with the nation of the problem housing estate. The most comparable early study to Shaw and McKay's work that was conducted in the UK was undertaken by Baldwin and Bottoms in Sheffield in 1966. Baldwin and Bottoms aimed to investigate how some housing states could end up the higher members of the people being prosecuted for criminal activity in other, in other states. Despite having populations and comparable demographic profiles, in a contrast to the work of the Chicago School, Baldwin and the bottom found that in the UK a number of different factors potentially contributed to crime and crime. Page 64. Council housing in Sheffield. I'll show you a picture. Look at that built up suburban area. You can imagine what a crime is like in them buildings. There's a place like in Hatfield, Hatfield, right in the town centre, right behind the, um, the homeless shower. Page 64. Between the states, they found there was an interactive relationship between public housing policies, allocation procedures and the reputation of particular states. Further research conducted by Bottoms and Wills, 1986, suggested that some housing states could maintain their criminal or respectable reputations over long periods of time. Despite continual changes among residents, 
Thus bottoms and Wiles argued, the crime problem of particular individual state could not understood. Without taking account of house and annexation processes, Nepa, 2007, page 57, summarising the work of bottoms and will states. In a state begins as respectable remains sought after, and there is nothing to alter this sought after reputation. Then it is likely to enjoy a safe reputation over an extended period of time. Some states, however, acquire bad reputation early on, sometimes as a result of housing departments dumping of tenants, regarded as problematic. Others undergo a tipping process when original tenants transfer to more desirable states elsewhere. Leaving the state to become categorised as the place from the problem families. Other criminologists working in 1970s also noted the role played by policing practices and the and the other, or under, policing of some areas, as well as whether some local authorities were exercising their political power in a way they singled out individuals <coughs> as problematic. See, for example, Armstrong and Wilson, 1973, or Byrne, 1974, examinations of the policing or allocation policies that might lead to categorisation, or some people or places as problems or as criminal, have continued to proliferate in both the criminology and social policy lecturer. Cohen, 1985, Schneider and Ingram, 1993, Henry, 2009. However, policy making and governmental interventions that attempt to solve problems of crime in particular, areas, areas continue to focus on so-called problem individuals or problem families, rather than on a range of social and economic factors that have been shown to be associated with the occurrence of crime. It is evident then that investigating linkages between house and tenor and house and allocation and crime is a complex endeavour that is seemingly high dependent on both local context and on housing markets or policies. The idea is that some people or places can sometimes develop reputations as problematic has long attracted attention from social scientists. The next section on housing, crime and criminology considers some of the ways of social problems come to be viewed and categorised as criminal justice problems. You can you know like when you start a young family, you see what you put in your you know, you can put yourself through. You start off in these sort of built up areas. You're not gonna get much of a chance to so think first, think safely. I always say that, don't I? Absolutely. It's exactly what you can get yourself into. I see these young couples that want to move in together the university student to get put in these sort of areas their uh, first time. The criminal doesn't necessarily mean to say you can't get through, get by in life, because you can. Keep yourself to yourself. Don't participate with um, any stupidity. 3.3, 3, the criminalisation of social problems. When particular areas, estates or neighbourhoods look noticeably different from others, for example, where common areas are less well maintained, there is a litter strewn around or where houses and flats are in despair. They sometimes begin to carry a social stigma. The concept of stigma can be defined as an attribution of undesirability, discredit or social rejection. Goffman, 1963, Stafford and Scott, 1986. This idea can be applied to places. Whole groups of people or individuals, stigma attached to neighbourhoods and by association to the people who live in, in them. The real effects such as postcode prejudice 
Depending on how deep or widespread the stigmatization of a particular area is, such a label can hinder people's attempts to find employment or move to rented or social housing elsewhere. When stigma is attached to people who are categorized in particular groups, example, people with mental health problems, homeless people, ex-prisoners, page 66, drug users, then it often becomes more likely that these groups will experience unequal access to the housing because they will be viewed as belonging to undesirable population by some of their potential neighbours or by some property owners. Let me tell you, all them contexts, I've been pretty much through all that sort of context, all them sort of societies, I've been through the mill. And I've come out the other end, I'm, you know, holding my head high above water. I mean, they're nice... I'm in a nice business, I call it a posh area, nice area, while I'm sitting here today. This house has made up all my characteristics, my charisma, my personality. At the same time, when people act in ways that other people find troublesome, threatening or dangerous, they may be calls for new policies or laws to control or prevent them from infringing on the rights of others. For example, as a response of to complaints of troublesome behaviour, primarily, primarily occurring in social housing areas, anti-social behaviour orders, ASBO, were brought into force in England, Scotland and Wales through the Crime and Disorder Act of 1998. NEPA 2007, page 67. The idea of anti-social behaviour and the subsequent policy decision and legal frameworks that were introduced to manage it provided useful example of the way social issue can lead to particularly policy decisions that can be slide into criminal justice process. The social issues that ASBOs were intended to deal with were so-called nuisance, problems between neighbours or anti-social behaviour on the housing estates in other public spaces, Squires 2007. Problems ASBOs were intended to target were generally trivial activities such as littering, public drunkenness, begging, disturbing the peace or spitting, to name only a few which were not illegal per se, as thus were not strictly a matter for criminal justice intervention. However, ASBO made it possible for the social problems such as these to be acted upon authorities without the burden of proof that is required to convict someone of criminal offence. Breach of an ASBO, however, is a criminal offence and is referred to court, where the person in breach of the order is charged and tried under the convention of criminal law. Thus, it has been argued that Ruth Ford, that the ASBO provides a particularly striking example of criminalisation of social policy. Significantly, the ASBO effectively made landlords and housing managers into agents responsible for the implementation of crime policy control. Uh, crime control policy. As a result, some criminologists have argued that the ASBO was fundamentally created as a tool to exercise greater levels of social control over the poor. Squires 2006, at the, to- at the same time, however, some of the social issues that ASBO sought to address were very real concerns when viewed from the perspectives of the fellow tenants or neighbouring, living near some someone who was troublesome. Taking account of the material that you revealed in Section 3, how would you... As a social science researcher, investigate the question of whether or not, or not ASBOs had the desired effect of controlling troublesome activities in social housing areas. 
that's a big, this is a big, big topic for me, page 67. Bear in mind that when investigating any research problem, you need to decide whether your findings should be broadly generalizable or whether the question requires deep, specific and detailed exploitation. This is often a trade-off, but in Activity 6, it is possible that both types of findings would will partially answer the question. For example, a broad range of study might soon be comparing rates or reporting nuisance activities in a range of areas and whether or not these rates change in relation to these number of ASBOs issued in them. However, remember what has been said. This section about the importance of local context when it comes to identifying issues associated with crime in particular areas. Thus, you might want to examine one or two estates in great detail to determine whether or not people living in there felt safer and or whether those subjected to an ASBO had experienced any negative or positive effects as a result of it. One over-searching question likely to be asked by a criminologist or over-social scientist, exploring the efficiency of ASBOs which would have been guide to their choice of methods to investigate it would be of what extent has a policy decision to effectively criminalise nuisance behaviours solved the social problem it was intended to solve. Summary, while there appear to become association between housing, housing allocation, general social conditions and crime, there are no straightforward or casual connections. From criminologists, particularly that those concerned with recognising the relationship between crime, social policy decision and criminal justice practice. Established research has re- uh, repeatedly demonstrated that problems of crime are as a result of complex range of social, political and economic factors. Investigating problems and crime requires multiple questions and methods and the repeated testing of theories in a wide range of contexts. Page 69, conclusion. While social policy and criminology are distinct areas of study, there are many socials that draw out the overlap between the two social science fields, although one rational social policy is to help reduce inequalities. Research demonstrates that it can sometimes produce the opposite effect or simply fail to, to reduce inequalities. Housing is a key topic for social policy as it demonstrates important trends in the distribution of resources. Housing has a strong link to number of policy areas to do with life chances, including health and education. Moreover, some of the examples in this chapter to illustrate there is an increasing range of social problems where the lines between social policy and criminal justice policy are becoming blurred. Through an example of housing, this chapter has illustrated the welfare basis policies, which might initially aim to address the needs that emerge with population and result of inequalities in wealth distribution as certain forms of economic development sometimes end up transforming into policies amid to control or even criminalise. That's a key point from this chapter, is that investigating social wealth through the combination of social policy and criminology requires you to call into question at the way different policies can impact on social conditions and in doing so result in different social outcomes for individuals. Look, that's end of page 70 guys. On chapter three, I'm just going to start a bit of chapter three. Home ownership, investment, and wealth inequality. There's a lot of asbos I, I debate with. Um, as everyone knows, everyone knows my equalities throughout race and culture. Everyone's fine. Every culture I would respect. Um, I go to Turkey. I respect the Muslims. 
I respect Jews. I'm always nice to, if you bring the success to the table, I'm always nice. I don't say I like, I've worked for Indians, I've worked for Pakistanis, I've worked for all different cultures. I've got no offensive attitude towards any of them. These asbos are getting away with a lot of criminality. I mean, we have to turn our blind eye to it for some time, but should I? Maybe the debate is upsetting me that people on the BLM thing, it's upsetting the inequalities of it. It's absolute fascism to go against it, and it's it's burdening my knowledge, my success. I might put a complaint in. Public policy towards housing has changed over time, for example. Governments that were once big providers for housing as part of their social policy has in- encouraged the growth of non-profit housing. Associ- association and private sector landlords as alternative sources rented homes governments have also p- promoted home ownership, helped by the asp- aspiration of many households to become owner-occupiers and their increasing scope of doing so as their incomes rises and necessary mortgage loans become available. This chapter exam- examines the causes and some of the consequences of rising ownership, owner occupation, which is happening across a number of countries in the recent decades. It pays particular attention to financial aspects of home buying and the collective results of treating housing as an asset. This chapter will explore the ways that households might gain economy for owning their homes and the evidence that is motive for buying them. The theories and evidence that social science scientists can be can use to test propositions of the cause of the impacts of home buying and behaviour. The impact of property purchases and the equality of wealth distribution, the wider economic impact of widespread house purchase and of bank lending is enable this including worsening affordability problems and financial sector instability, renting or buying, which is which do people prefer? Examines evidence for the people preferring ownership to renting. Motives from buying looks at possible social and economic motives for wanting to own a home. Section 3. Is there evidence that people buy houses as an investment? Considers the sources of evidence for people treating homes as an investment and not just a place to live. Thank you, ladies and gents. That's now our reading for today. I'm going to call that it. Thank you for staying uh, in tune. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. It's 